If you have your Bibles, you can open with me to Mark chapter 8, and you'll see on your outlines that we'll start around verse 11. So open with me. And if you have your, um, your half sheet, you can go ahead and pull that out, and we'll uh, dive in and study this together. Mark chapter 8, starting in verse 11. Let's take and see where the Lord would lead us this morning. Uh, so let's, let's read along. Mark chapter 8, starting in verse 11. The Pharisees came and began to argue with Jesus, seeking from him a sign from heaven to test him. Verse 12, Jesus sighed deeply from his spirit and said, why does this generation seek a sign? Truly, I say to you, no sign will be given to this generation. And he left them, got into a boat, and went to the other side. Now they forgot to bring bread, and they only had one loaf with them in the boat. And he cautioned them, saying, watch out, beware of the leaven of the Pharisees and the leaven of Herod. And they began discussing with one another the fact that they had no bread. And Jesus, aware of this, said to them, why are you discussing the fact that you have no bread? Do you not see and yet perceive or understand? Are your hearts hardened? Having eyes do you not see, and having ears do you not hear? And do you not remember? When I broke the five loaves for the 5,000, how many basketful of broken pieces did you take up? And they said, 12. And the seven for the 4,000, how many baskets full of pieces did you take up? And they said to him, seven. In verse 21, he said to them, do you yet not understand? Let's pray together. Dear Lord, help us. We come again here to your word, and we ask that your word would nourish our hearts and our souls. Lord, as always, we don't simply want to come and hear more information or sing more songs about you. We want to connect with you. We want our hearts to be changed. We want to be different than when we came in and when we started this journey. So we offer ourselves to you now. We offer our hearts. We offer our minds. We offer all of us to you. Or would you do your work now through your word? It's in your name we pray. Amen. The first thing that we see on your outline is verse 11, Jesus's test. Jesus's test. You see, verse 11, the Pharisees came and began to argue with Jesus, seeking from him a sign from heaven to test him. Now, if you recall two weeks ago, uh, this may be tough because I know it was two weeks ago, but what did we talk about here in this place two weeks ago? What did Jesus just do? Hint, hint, you can look right above. And what did Jesus just perform? All right, we don't even remember what we had for breakfast. That's perfect. So two weeks ago, we looked at Jesus feeding the 4,000, right? Jesus fed the 4,000 in a miraculous way, right? He broke the bread, fed the 4,000. I know that you are so enamored with Ryan's sermon last week. You cannot even remember two weeks ago, right? And so two weeks ago, Jesus fed the 4,000. But here we are just a few moments later, the Pharisees coming to him and arguing with him, seeking a sign from heaven to test him. Just did some stuff, right? You look at this and you think, Pharisees, did you not miss the feeding of the 5,000? Did you not miss the feeding of the 4,000? Did you not miss the, the blind being able to see? Where have you been, Pharisees? Have you been hiding under a rock, right? You kind of get to this and you think, Pharisees, man, come on. You want to sign again to test them. Now, this word test is really more in the vein of tempt. The Pharisees had come to argue with Jesus and to tempt him into doing some sign or wonder that would overshadow everything else that he had done. I mean, the Pharisees are not coming and saying, Jesus, can you break some more bread and feed some more people? Can you do another miracle of making somebody blind to see? What they're asking of Jesus is a, uh, almost a, a cosmological, a massive sign and wonder that would essentially star from heaven to say, this is the guy. 
This is the guy with the authority. This is healer. This is teacher. This is the guy who would save the world. This is the Messiah. The Pharisees are asking for a miracle to end all miracles, a miracle that there would be no distinction, no question on the face of the earth that Jesus is exactly who he says he is. So they've come to Jesus to tempt him into doing something that he is not yet ready to do. Because we've, we've read the end of the story, right? We know what's coming. We know that Jesus would eventually perform that miracle, right? We know that eventually he would live on this earth, live a sinless, perfect life, die on the cross, taking your sins and my sins and the sins of the whole world and doing that miraculous miracle that would split time into two, that would change everything on the course of this planet when he would not stay in the grave, but he would raise from the dead. Essentially putting a stamp onto all of his ministry, saying everything that I was telling you, that I would be the bread of life, that I would nourish you through my death on the cross, that everything that he was doing in this uh, earlier portion of his ministry from healing the sick and making the lame to walk would foreshadow that very miracle that he would raise from the dead. And so here the Pharisees come to Jesus and request that he would do that one more sign that would put faith in their hearts. Now, you know as well as I do, as well as Jesus does, that the Pharisees didn't need just another sign. They didn't need just one more thing, and if they would just see that one thing, they would finally trust in Jesus. Right? And you've probably been in that same boat, too, that you've said at some point in your life, you've laid in bed at night and said, Jesus, God, if you would just do this, then I would believe. Right? Sometimes it looks like you know, when you have a sore throat, God, if you would just take my sore throat away, I would always believe in you, Right? God, if you would just write your name in the clouds, then I would finally believe. But we know, and we've been studying this week after week, that signs are not the thing that put faith in us. Miracles, signs, and wonders, they are helpful, but they are not uh, the end-all, be-all. You see, as we've looked at the book of Exodus, and you looked at the, the Exodus out of captivity, did not the Israelites see sign after sign after sign after sign, the parting of the Red Sea, the plagues, the incredible wonders that happened with manna on the ground and the rock being struck and water coming out? They saw sign after sign after sign, yet the people still grumbled after grumbled after grumbled after Moses tearing on the mountain and they make a golden calf. I mean, these people saw every sign possible to see, yet they still did not have the faith that would lead them to the promised land. The disciples see miracle after miracle after miracle. The Pharisees see miracle after miracle after miracle. Yet here they are saying, Jesus, we need you to do a miracle. We need you to do a sign to prove to us that you are who you say you are. Because the reality of this is the Christian faith requires faith. At some level, it does require us to live and act in faith in the world around us, that we take who Jesus is, is who he says he is, that he did die on the cross, that he did raise from the dead, that he is alive right now. At some point, it requires in us a little bit of faith working itself out. We know in Hebrews chapter 11, you see the hall of faith in which verse 6 says, without faith, it is impossible to please God. For whoever would draw near to God must believe that he exists and that he rewards those who seek him. You see all throughout scripture, people believing and trusting in faith. In the Old Testament to the New Testament, you see people who are trusting by faith. Not that all their questions are answered, not that they have everything and all their ducks in a row, but they are living by faith. Humor me for a moment. Hebrews chapter 11, verse 3, by faith. By faith it is that we understand the universe was created by the word of God so that what is seen was not made out of things that are visible. 
Verse 7, by faith, Noah, being warned by God concerning the events that are yet unseen, in reverent fear, constructed an ark before the first water dropped from heaven. Before the first flood began, before anything happened, Moses began constructing an ark in faith. Verse 8, by faith, Abraham obeyed when he was called to go to a place that he was to receive an inheritance. And when he went out, he didn't know where he was going. Here's the Bible's words. When Moses, when Abraham was called out to go to the place that he was called to go to the inheritance, he went to a place he didn't even know where he was going, but he went by faith. You carry on. By faith, Moses, when he was born, was hidden by his parents for three months. By faith, the walls of Jericho fell after people encircled it for seven days, marching around, not knowing exactly what was going to happen. But God told them to march around the walls of Jericho. And so they marched and they marched and they marched by faith. By faith, Rahab the prostitute gave clear passage for the spies and gave a good report. By faith. Over and over and over again, you see the role of faith in our existence as believers that at some point we have to trust in Jesus. That yes, we can wish that God would write signs up in the sky and that we could see the next thing, that he would heal the next thing and we would finally believe in him. But friends, at some point, it requires of us to have some level and measure of faith to trust that God is who he says he is, that he did die on the cross to save us from our sins and that we would trust in him with our lives. Not that we would have every answer figured out, every problem the solution to. But you see, you come to verse 12 and Jesus, after hearing the request from the Pharisees, gives this beautiful human emotion. And I'm so thankful that the gospel writers, as they're writing the gospels, would, would include Jesus's human responses. As Jesus is met with the Pharisees, arguing with him, seeking a sign, Jesus, in verse 12, sighs deeply. And this root of this word is not sighing in anger and frustration to say, can you not get it, Pharisees? Come on, you ignorant fools. That is not the sighing out of frustration or anger. It's sighing out of dismay and despair. Out of looking at these Pharisees who should know better, who should have read the text, who should understand exactly what he's doing is pointing them to the, the proof of who he is. And in despair, our Lord sighs deeply. Surely, looking back at all he's done, pointing to the evidence of what he would do, but sighing deeply, the human emotion of Jesus coming out just to sigh deeply in his heart at the unbelief of the Pharisees again and again and again. And it would spill over into the boat. So Jesus sighs and he says, no sign would be given to this generation. He left them, got into the boat and went to the other side. And this most interesting portion of this scripture takes a, a really notable turn. See in verse 14, now they had, gotten, they had forgotten to bring bread and they only had one loaf with them in the boat. Jesus cautioned them uh, using the bread as an analogy to look for the leaven of the Pharisees and the leaven of Herod. And the, the disciples in verse 16, they began discussing with one another the fact that they had no bread. Now, we've talked about this in the previous weeks. Do you feel any frustration yourself? I'm talking personally at the disciples at this point. Right? You've just had the 5,000, the 4,000, and here they get into the boat and they forgot to bring bread, and, you're, and they're talking about the bread. They're frustrated about the bread. They only brought one loaf and they needed more than one loaf. Jesus gives them a, a wonderful parable about the leaven. And what are they doing? They're still talking about the bread. 
Come on, guys. You know that you're going to be okay. You're with Jesus. He's just done all this miraculous stuff. Forget about the bread. You're with Jesus. Why are we worried so much about the bread constantly? And it's at this moment, even last night as I was looking over this again, that I, I felt in my heart so frustrated at the disciples and we chastised them alongside the Pharisees for just not getting it, right? Jesus has called them dull and small, uh, small in many ways to not get it, not perceive, not understand fully. And, and, and you and I can be in that same boat as well. Come on, disciples. Come on, guys, get it together. And we talked two weeks ago and just said how thankful we are that Jesus didn't throw them away. To say, hey, disciples, you can find some other ones who are far better. But it's at that moment that I remembered the disciples, they keep getting in the boat with Jesus, though. You know, at the very least, they don't seem to get it. They don't seem to fully understand. They're not perceiving. They're not the best disciples that maybe could be out there. Maybe Jesus could find some guys with more faith that would, would do everything properly. But the disciples, they're not perfect. But you know what they do, right? They keep hanging with Jesus. They keep getting in the boat. Even though the last time they got in the boat, that boat took them on a storm-ravaged uh, way, and Jesus had to save them from the storm. They keep getting in the boat. And we can be frustrated with the disciples and say, guys, can you not get it? But at the end of the day, they exercise their faith. They keep getting in the boat. The disciples don't seem to know every answer that's out there. They don't seem to have all the right conclusions. They haven't yet figured out fully who Jesus is, and they keep arguing about all the wrong things, do they not? But the greatest act of worship and obedience in the disciples' life seems to be that they keep following. They keep trusting. They keep getting in the right boat with the right Jesus. Reminded this week as our staff goes to our staff retreat just to get, get away together and just have a time of prayer and learning and asking what the Lord's leading us to in the coming weeks, months, and years. I'm reminded to one of my first staff retreats here at First Baptist, I chose the right boat. Uh, before staff retreat would start, we would, uh, some of us would go fishing on this wonderful little pond. And the night before, I didn't know what it was going to look like. The last time I'd gone fishing, I'd gone with my grandfather, and I was a little kid, and I didn't know what I was doing. So I went the night before to Walmart and bought the nicest pole I could find. It was $15. It was a good, uh, good pole. And I bought some lures that looked really bright and flashy. And I got there ready to go and uh, didn't know a clue what I was doing. I didn't tie up any of my hooks, didn't know what was happening, but I chose right. I got on the boat with our pastor emeritus, Jay Wolf, who is an excellent fisherman, knows all the different things and uh, knows how to do the fishing and all the catching and all that kind of stuff. And I didn't have a clue what I was doing. But that day I stepped on the right boat. I knew that that man knew how to fish. He knew the places to go. He knew when I got my hook caught in all sorts of wrong things and wrong places, he knew how to get it out and take all my uh, small Walmart stuff and provide these wonderful lures that caught many a good fish. And when we caught those fish and I didn't know what to do with that fish, he lovingly showed me how to take that hook out and what to do with it when it, we got it. See, my, my small little $15 Walmart pole and lures, they weren't going to go very far that day. But the greatest thing that I did at that staff retreat was getting on the boat with the man who had many of the right answers. So for us friends, so often we come to life and we don't have a lot of the right answers. We don't know where that boat's taking us. We don't know where we're going. At times we come to, to the Lord with more questions than we have answers, but the greatest act of obedience that we can take at times is to simply keep getting in the boat with the Lord. 
Keep going with him. Keep, keep following him. Keep trusting him. And at times we go into places where there are storms raging all around us and we say, Lord, where are you? What are you leading us to? Why is this happening? I don't have the answers, but Lord, I'm going to stay in this boat right here with you because I know that you don't leave me. You don't forsake you, save me. You are with me always to the end of the age. Friends, can I encourage you? Maybe today some of you have gotten a little bit off course. You've gotten off path. You're in your own boat trying to row your own wave. Can I lovingly encourage you to get in the boat with Jesus? Maybe your next right step of obedience in your life is not to get all your questions answered. Maybe you have some big philosophical questions and you're just waiting for the answer, but your next step is just say, Lord, I'm going to trust in you. I don't don't need all my questions answered. I don't need this next sign, Lord. I just want to trust in you, Lord. I want to follow you. Lord, would you help me? Right smack dab in the middle of this in verse 15, as they are worried about bread, worrying about the loaf, where is it? What's going to happen? Jesus cautioned them saying, watch out. Beware the leaven of the Pharisees and the leaven of Herod. In the midst of the disciples not quite getting it, Jesus is going to give them a a warning. It's in your outline on the the bottom of your outline, Jesus' warning. As they're in the boat with them concerned about the bread, Jesus gives them a beautiful analogy of the yeast and the leaven. He reminds them in Galatians 5, 9 that we see a little leaven leavens the whole lump. A little bit of yeast works its way through the whole lump of bread to make it rise and to change its properties and to change it from an unleavened piece to something that rises up. That little piece of leaven works its way through the whole batch. And so the leaven of the Pharisees, this self-righteousness, this hypocrisy that would seem to say, I've got it together. I can do it. I can earn my way in. I can do enough good things to make my way. This little bit of self-righteousness, this little pit of hypocrisy, if we are not careful, can work its way through our heart and to our soul to begin to believe that we're not that bad of people and so we don't need that big a savior. To begin to think that we have enough on our own, enough merit on our own to earn our way to somehow get before the Lord and say we are somehow in some small way able to do it on our own. So Jesus would say this little bit of leaven, this little bit of sin can work its way in your heart in a way that is not palatable or good. Before we came out this morning, there's a group of us that gets together and we pray. And uh, before we go out that lead in the worship and Jeff Holland and Kenny and Doug as our deacon of the day pray together. And I was just thinking if, if we had been in that room praying and all of a sudden Kenny, uh, who's a wonderful brother, prays for me every Sunday before we get out here, if I'm drinking this little cup of water and have it with me and Kenny in his unmasked face because Kenny wears his mask and if he were to unmask and just decide to sneeze right into my cup of water, just, just let's hypothetically say that this would happen. Do you know that God gave me not a spirit of fear, but he also didn't give me a spirit of stupidity. If Kenny sneezes into my drink, you know what I'm going to do? I'm going to throw it out. Absolutely. I love Kenny, but I don't love a spit, right? And so I'm going to throw it out because I understand how germs work, that that little bit of spit, while it may be a little bit, would work its way through the entire cup and I can't sort out all the bad from the good. So I'm going to throw it out and get some new water. Anyways, Jesus is reminding us that that little bit of yeast, that little bit of leaven works its way through the entire batch. 
This is why we as believers are so careful not to say, oh, it's just a little sin. It's not that big of a deal. We are careful like a a surgeon to scalpel out that sin in our lives, that root of sin in our lives, because we know and understand what it leads to. The same way none of us would just say it's a little bit of cyanide in our water. It's not that big of a deal. No, we would surely not drink it. The same way Jesus is warning that that little bit of self-righteousness in your soul, that little bit of hypocrisy, that little bit of feeling like you can do it on your own, you can make it on your own, that little bit of sin that you think is not that big and not that worth confessing, friends, it will work its way into your soul and lead you down a pathway that will lead you to a place of unrecognizable distrust in the Lord. Friends, Jesus' warning is clear. As the disciples are worried about who brought the bread, who didn't bring the bread, when the bread of life is sitting in the boat with them, Jesus is going to give them a warning, and then he's going to call them with a reminder. In verses 18 through 21, you see the disciples begin discussing again with one another the fact that they had no bread. To this point, if I was Jesus, I would feel a a large bit frustrated, but Jesus, aware of their discussions about the bread, in verse 17, said, why are you discussing the fact that you have no bread? Do you not yet perceive or understand? Are your hearts hardened? Having eyes, did you not see? Having ears, do you not remember? And Jesus systematically begins to look at them and say, do you remember the 5,000? Guys, I know that you're worried about the bread. Do you not remember the 4,000? And I imagine Jesus could have gone on and on and on, right? Hey, guys, do you not remember the pigs? Do you not remember the spit and the eyes and the ears? Hey, guys, do you not remember the authority by which I've spoken time and time again? Hey, guys, do you not remember the the lame man that began to walk? Hey, guys, do you remember that thing that we did back there? Do you remember when you went out in force? Hey, guys, do you remember? Jesus' reminder is to continually point them to all that he has done, his faithfulness, time and time and time and time again. So my prayer is that I would have a long memory, not to remember all my sins and shortcomings, but to remember his faithfulness to me and to our church and to our families time and time again. And so here, Jesus' reminder to the disciples when they get to this moment, they're thinking, we only have one loaf of bread. What are we going to do? Jesus says, just Hey, just remember, remember the five, remember the four, all this stuff. Do you not yet perceive? Jesus continues over and over not to throw them out of the boat, but just continue to remind them of his goodness and his faithfulness to them time in and time out. So we come to this clothing truth on the back of your outline. You see these three simple words. Trust in the Lord. As we leave this morning, there's no three more words that I can give you than in the Lord. As you put your trust, we're not putting it in chariots and horses, and man, we're putting it in the Lord. As we put our faith, we're not putting it in anything that we can manufacture. We're putting it in the Lord. Philippians 4, 6 and 7 reminds us, rejoice in the Lord always. You step back up, you see Paul says, stand firm, thus, in the Lord as we leave the doors of this church and as we walk into the world around us, this is our clarion call to trust in the Lord. Put our faith, put our hope in the Lord and follow him wherever he would lead. Let's pray together. Lord, thank you. Lord, we continue trusting in you. Lord, when we may feel right now like the disciples who continue to get it wrong, 
who continue to be worried about all the wrong things and focus our heart's attention on all the wrong things, Lord. Thank you that you don't cast us out, but Lord, I pray that our heart's desire would be to follow you and to get in the boat with you and to trust you as you lead and guide us. Thank you that you are a good shepherd that leads us by still water that restores our soul. So thank you, Lord, that you are who you are. A God of grace and compassion and mercy and love and patience and peace. So I pray that across this room that we would take our next right step of obedience. Whether that step is going and asking forgiveness from a brother that we've wronged, whether it's going to our husband or wife and asking forgiveness or taking them by the hand and leading them towards you. That next right step of obedience is to say, Lord, wherever you would lead, I would go. Whatever that step is, Lord, we want to follow you. So we're putting our trust firmly in you. We recognize that without faith, in the absence of faith in our lives, it is impossible to please you. Singing songs, reading the word, Lord, if we, if we don't, at the core of who we are, put our trust and our faith in you, it's impossible to please so Lord, today, we, we trust in you. We put our faith in you. At the most basic heart level, Lord, we put our faith in you that when we breathe our last on this side of heaven, we will open our eyes into eternity, not because we have done it, but because you did it on the cross. So Lord, we're putting everything that we are into that reality, that you lived a sinless and perfect life, that you died on the cross not just for some of our sins, but all of our sins. And then on the third day, you raised up in victory over death, over sin. You rose victoriously. So Lord, we live our lives because of that. It's in Jesus' name we pray, amen.